So in case you missed it last week, we started a new series uh, going through the gifts from the Magi to Jesus. So last week, he talked about myrrh, and he ended with the questions of where is our kingdom? Is our kingdom in ourself, like King Herod? Is our kingdom in our religion, like the religious leaders? Or are we looking for the king, like the Magi were? So for me, the gifts from the Magi have a, probably a different memory than you guys have. Growing up for Christmas, my parents would do gifts in like the categories of the gifts of the wise men or the Magi. You'd have the gold gift, frankincense, and myrrh. So you'd have one for your talents, one to help develop them, one for your spiritual life, and then another gift. I thought it was really cool bringing more of the Christmas story into Christmas. Not just about the gifts, but the meanings behind them. So we're going to be continuing in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, who, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judea. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. God, we thank you for this gift of Christmas, Lord, of you coming down and living the life and being the sacrifice for us, Lord. Pray that as we go through this season, Lord, that we remember you. And I pray that today, Lord, that these words will not be mine, Lord, but they will speak to everyone here. Amen. So I can't imagine how Mary would have felt when the Magi showed up with gifts. Mary and Joseph were poor. Jesus was born in a barn in a city that was so insignificant at that time. People at the time would say, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? And then put yourself in Mary's shoes. Now the Magi are here with gifts and they fall at your baby's feet and start worshiping. And they open up these gifts and they give gold. Imagine how you would be with Mary. Gold? Gold? to a baby, and then 
comes the next gift, frankincense. Does anyone know what frankincense is? So, <laughs> frankincense, you might hear now of like essential oils. There's a frankincense, but it's different than it was back then. It was a very expensive incense whose primary use was in the temple for sacrifices, for offerings to God. Leviticus chapter 6, verse 15. And one shall take from it a handful of fine flour of the grain offering and its oil and all the frankincense that is on the grain offering and burn this as memorial portion on the, off, on the altar, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. So there were many types of offerings. You had sin offerings to cleanse sin, guilt offerings to pay for guilt, peace offerings to give thanks, ordination offerings when a priest was taking office, but the grain offering was unique. If you were unholy or you had sin in your life and you touched the sin offering, well, I feel sorry for you. You would be killed or you would be exiled. That puts you in a great holiday spirit, doesn't it? <laughs> so what would happen when you touched the grain offering? If you weren't good enough, would you be killed? Would you be exiled? Was anyone good enough to touch the offering? As we keep going in Leviticus, in verse 18, every male among the children of Aaron may eat of it as decreed forever throughout your generations. From the Lord's food offerings, whatever touches them shall become holy. So we have all these other offerings, all these other sacrifices, where if you were to touch them, that was basically the end of you. And now we have the grain offering where it's like, hey, descendants of Aaron, eat this offering. Whoever touches this offering becomes holy. Whoever touches the people that ate the offering become holy. Unholiness cannot make what is holy unholy. Only holiness can make the unholy holy. <laughs> I know that's a mouthful. Unholiness cannot make what is holy unholy, but holiness can make the unholy holy. Why? Because holiness transforms people. When something is holy, that means that it is from heaven. A holy person is not of this world. This offering doesn't put an emphasis on the perfection of the person, but instead the perfection of God. This offering, this grain offering, the holiness, does not put an emphasis on us being perfect, but on God being perfect. And that is what this gift of frankincense told Mary. Her son was going to be the perfect offering, the holy sacrifice that would transform us for generations from unholy to holy. His life was not for himself, but it was for us, that we may be made holy. And of course, this wasn't a surprise to Mary. So as we go in Luke, starting in chapter 1, verse 30, we read, and the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, 
for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, and of his kingdom there will be no end. When the angel first appeared to Mary, he told her that her son was the son of God. He would live here on heaven, or here on earth and also in heaven. Heaven was not waiting for the earth to become perfect. Since basically the beginning of the earth, there's been sin, it's been unperfect, it's been unholy. And God had a plan. He wasn't just going to wait for everyone to get it right, wasn't just going to wait for everyone to clean up their act. He had a plan since the beginning that he would send his son, a perfect holy sacrifice for us. Perfection was coming to the imperfect world. And Joseph was told something similar in Matthew chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place, all this took place, fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus was born to be with us. Think about that for a second. Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, the perfect lamb, God's own son, born to be with us. If that doesn't put a smile on your face, I don't know what will. God came because he loved us. He didn't want us living in sin. He didn't want us living our own lives. He wanted to be here with us. He wanted to spend eternity with us. Jesus hung out with the people that we would probably never hang out with if you think about it. Chief tax collector, Zacchaeus, probably one of the biggest traitors to Israel, robbed them blind, stealing. That was his whole career as a tax collector. But what happened when Jesus came around? Instantly, he turned his act around, giving everything away. Unholy became holy. In Mark 5, we see a demon-possessed man encounter Jesus. His name was Legion. No one knew what to do. Chains couldn't hold him. Guy was going crazy. What happened when he first saw Jesus? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Sorry, that's the wrong quote, I think. (laughs) He begged Jesus to not send him back to hell. But instead, what did he do? Sent the demons into the pig. The pigs went out. And what happened to that man? He was saved, yes. But he also became basically one of the first missionaries. After that, he went around, all around, telling everyone what Jesus had done for him. One of the most unholy things you can think of became holy after interaction with Jesus. People with leprosy, a disease that would slowly 
kill you, rot your skin away. Everyone stayed as far away from that disease as possible. They were scared of it. They were unclean, and they were considered spiritually unclean. But what did Jesus do? He interacted with them. He touched them, and he cleansed them. Unholy became holy. Jesus came to make the unholy holy. When the Magi gave the, gave, gave the gift of frankincense, this is what they were predicting about the life of Jesus, that he would bring an offering to the world and the lives that he would touch, yours, mine, people who have been around, people who are yet to come, they would become holy. They would turn from unholy to holy. He was the son of God, God with us. To fully appreciate the aspect of who Jesus is, we need to answer a question that'll set you free. We spend so much time wondering if we are good enough. A little bit ago in youth, we went through a series taking popular worldviews or world beliefs and putting them up against the Bible. Kind of taking a look at what the Bible said about that worldview. And one of them is, I just have to be good enough. Is good enough what saves us? No. We can't just be good enough. I mean, if you think about it, what would that even mean, good enough? Meaning, I just have to do one thing that's good and then I'm good to go? I just have to squeak by... You guys ever heard the phrase D's get degrees? Or C's get degrees? Meaning I just have to do just enough to squeak by and get my degree and then I'm good to go. That's not the way that life is. That's not the way that our relationship with God is meant to be. We're not meant to just do a little bit, just enough to squeak by, just enough to make it into heaven. And then we're good to go. That's not what we're supposed to do. When we live our life like that, we're being unholy. The offering of Jesus' life isn't focused on our imperfection, but his perfection. It's not focused on us just getting by, accepting the gift, and moving on with life. It's meant to change us, to transform us. Jesus is the offering that brings us to holiness and freedom from sin. But will you let Jesus set you free? Will you let Jesus take the reins, transform you, and save you? Or are you content with being good enough? Isaiah 53, verses 10 through 11. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. 
and he shall bear their iniquities. Going back to the grain offering in Leviticus, when we look at it, there's two things that that offering required. One we talked about was frankincense. And the second one, really obvious, is grain. Something you might not think about with the grain at that time, though, grain wasn't something that the Israelites necessarily had a lot of. When Moses told his people about this grain offering, they were in the wilderness. Grain would have been rare. And for them to do this type of offering would have meant that they were giving up a lot of what they had. It cost them something to give this offering rather than hold on to the grain. And when they gave this offering, they showed that they trusted in God to provide. They showed that they valued God's holiness over their own desires. And when that grain offering was burned, the aroma, is said, was pleasing to the Lord. Our second point, holiness requires sacrifice. So Jesus came to make the unholy holy. But if you strive for that holiness through Jesus, that requires sacrifice. Just like the Israelites had to sacrifice the grain, the food that they had, what was rare, what cost them a lot, they had to sacrifice that. We need to sacrifice stuff in our lives as well. Are there areas in your life that are precious to you? Areas in your life that you're like, this is who I am. This is what I do. If I gave up this, I would be nothing. Maybe you find your identity in your job. Maybe you find your identity in your hobbies, who you're around, what you like to do. But what if God asked you to give that up? Jesus came down to the earth knowing what he was going to go through, what was going to happen, and yet he still willingly did it. We see this in the garden. Jesus cries out to God that he doesn't want to go through with what he's getting ready to do, but he understands what is happening and he gives up himself a willing sacrifice to go through what he did and die on the cross. Jesus came to make the unholy holy. Holiness requires sacrifice. When Jesus encountered other people, their lives changed forever. They weren't the same person that they were when they came in, when they met Jesus for the first time. There wasn't a sin that was too big or a sickness that was too deadly. Even demons couldn't stand in the path of Jesus. So think about that for a second. These things can't stay in the way of Jesus, but what's stopping us from allowing him to touch our lives? What's stopping us from giving up 
what's afflicting us, what's ailing us, what's giving us a hard time? What's stopping us from giving that up to God and saying, God, you got this? Frankincense is an offering. Frankincense is a sacrifice. It's showing what Jesus came to do. The worship team wants to come back up. Getting ready to close. Jesus came to make the unholy holy. If you notice what I said there, he came to make the unholy holy. I didn't say he is forcing you to become holy. It's a choice that you have to make. Jesus came. He did his part. He died on the cross. Lived the perfect life. He was the ultimate sacrifice for us. But are you going to take that step and make that sacrifice? Some of you today might be feeling that tug right now on you saying, I know exactly what the part of my life is that is stopping me, that's holding me back. I know exactly what I need to give up right now. Are you going to take that step and give that up? Are you going to chase after the holiness that Jesus gives us? Or are you going to be content with being good enough? The gift that God gives us is free. The transformation is a sacrifice. We need to offer those parts of our lives that cost us something to be part of that transformation. So I encourage you, as we go through this last song, let God search your heart if you don't already know, if you feel like you, like you need to take a step but you're not too sure, let God tell you where it is in your life that you need to sacrifice. Or if you already know, I encourage you, give it to God. Let him take that grain from you and mix it with that frankincense of his sacrifice, of his blood, and transform you from unholy holy. Jesus was the perfect offering, making unholy people holy. But we have to take that step and give that sacrifice for it to happen.